So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to share this word with your sons and your daughters. Father, thank you that it's relevant. It's for today. And, Father, we need a word from you. We don't need opinions. We don't need he said, she said. Father, we need a word from you to direct us and guide us. Father, please forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all iniquity, Father, and allow us to to speak righteousness and to think righteousness and to, to be righteous, the righteousness of Christ. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, there's so many things we could be talking about and doing, and it's so easy just to get up here and tell you all the things that are wrong. Amen. And if I started with my own life, some of you would probably walk out. But we live in a culture, and we have this nature inside of us to be quick to point out things that are wrong, things that are negative. You know, uh, quick to hear and slow to speak is what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, I'm just as guilty as, as the next person in this. But I want to just give you a plan. I want to give you a choice to make. And, and with this teaching comes practice. How many of you understand what I'm saying? You get to practice all the time. And, you know, it's like in baseball, you know, you don't get one strike. You get three strikes and then you're out. So he's the God of second chances. And so with my marriage and my kids and the church and everybody that I come into contact with and my pastor friends, uh, how many of you know that I get to practice a lot? Really, I do. If I blow it with my family, it's okay. I left the house. I blew it. I get to go blow it at the office. And if that's not good enough, I can meet my pastor friends after blowing it at home and meet with my pastor friends, blow it there, and then go to the office and blow it, okay? Then I can go back home and blow it all over again. It's exciting. It's a vicious cycle, everybody. So what we want to try to do is we want to be inspired. We want to be productive. We want to make a difference, you know. And, and, and you know, you can say what you want about, you know, certain ministers or whatever, but, you know, a positive message is needed. It's important, you know. And, and so with that, I want to share this message with you as, as just a caution, as a warning, because we can see this happening in our culture. We can see this happening in our homes. And the title is Don't Sow discord or division. Now, this thing is very subtle. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I just want to present to you a case uh, so that way we can be prepared for for the action that we're going to take. And uh, once again, don't sow discord or division. And we're not going to develop this too deep, but I'm just going to share with you uh, some portions of Scripture and everything and make it relevant for today. And, And it's really important that you care that you care enough to listen to say, Pastor, I'm with you, I'm going to work on this, amen? Because that's really all I can ask of you, because it's going to be a work in progress. So here we go. The following teaching is taken out of the weekly Torah portion, Korah, in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1 through uh, chapter 18 and verse 32. Uh, I believe the Torah portions are prophetic, okay? And, And what you need to understand is that You know, Paul has been very misunderstood as well, as I mentioned the Apostle Paul. But, you know, Paul kept Torah, okay? He was Torah observant. Some people think he was schizophrenic. He didn't keep Torah. He did keep Torah. He did have situations, but I believe overall that Paul the Apostle, he kept Torah. We can go into the Nazarite vow that he he provided for and all of that. We can go into some other details as well. But but the bottom line is that uh, Paul makes mention a lot of times in his letters, and we're going to see this, about the past mistakes of Israel, amen? 
So if you're teaching the church of Corinth about past mistakes of Israel and don't repeat them, how many of you know he's basically saying that you're grafted in, you're a part of this. You're not a separate entity. You're not above reproach. And this is what we need to understand. And, and, and as I give you the biblical timeline, and we're going to be talking about that uh, on the golden calf incident, we're going to go back over that biblical timeline for 2016. This isn't about when certain dates come up that this is going to happen. Oy vey, oh no, the ninth of Av, oh no. It's not about that. It's about understanding history. It's about understanding the season in which we are living. We are in the season of summer right now. And I'm not a, you know... I'm not professing things to come to pass or doom and gloom or watch out for this or that. But what I want to warn you is that if we look at the past, we can see the future. And, and Paul makes mention that these are given as what? As an example to us. Don't do as they did. Because there's a Pontius Pilate in all of us. All of us. There's a Judas Iscariot inside all of us. And so I don't worry about, oh, no, here comes this date, here comes that date. Oh, no, it's just that I'm alert, I'm sober, I'm vigilant, okay? I'm just going to be ready to go here. And you, you'll testify to this. Why is this happening to me? See, thank you, Holy Spirit. See, all of you are on a path with God, and I, I agree with you. I believe in you. I know that you're on the right path. I, I believe that you, you're doing what is right. You're going in the right direction. But see, there's something that's going to come along the way to knock you off the path. It could be anything. It could be a sickness or an ailment. It could be a family member. It could be your job. But see, the enemy knows that you know where you're going and where you want to be. He wants to knock you off course. He will use our family against us. But we love our family. And we try to persuade them to, to, to see what we're seeing because they don't see your perspective. If they don't have Torah on their minds and their hearts yet, it's not been activated, you have to... You have to interpret that. You have to show them what it looks like. It's love. But it's also conviction and obedience. So what I'm going to do is, and, and Jacob did a very good job of reading the Scriptures and publicly reading the Scriptures, because remember, whatever you speak comes towards you. We're going to look at Korah's rebellion in number 16. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 14. It will not come up on the screen, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, once again, uh, I'm not against all these other translations of the Bible, but I'll be reading from the King James Version, so all of my PowerPoints, for the most part, all of my teachings are based upon the King James Version. Why is that? Because if you bring your King James Version of the Bible, we can all follow along, and I don't lose anybody. Because as, as you're reading a different... Uh, translation, and I've got King James up here, I lost you in the first two verses. Because I've already moved on six more verses, and you're like, well, my, mine says this, and I lost you. So the reason for this, it's not that I'm against the other translations, okay? Because I have a lot of translations. But I'm just saying that uh, for the sake of unity, we're going to look at the King James Version. Here we go. Korah's Rebellion. Now Korah, the son of Issar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. 
And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. He didn't argue, he didn't debate. He said, oy vey, here comes trouble. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, Thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Wow. Now, think about these charges. There's so much to consider here that's relevant. The meaning of Korah means bald, basically no covering. His name also means ice. Ice, ice, baby. Doom, 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 doom. Now what's ice? That's cold. That's cold, so no covering. His name means bald. The son of Issar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, amen? He was a Levite. Now listen to this. He was a member of the Kohathites. So start to do the research. He was a member of the Kohathites who had the following responsibilities. Think about these responsibilities that the Kohathites had, that, that Moses made reference to this group being sanctified, set apart to do this special job. Carrying Ark of the Covenant. The table of showbread, the candlestick, the brazen and golden altars, the vessels of the sanctuary, the hanging, the inner veil, the service of the tabernacle. Numbers 3.31. Numbers 3.31. Now listen to this. They were camped out on the south side 
of the tabernacle, along with Simeon, Reuben, and Gad. Think about it. They were camped out on the south side of the tabernacle, along with Simeon, Reuben, and Gad. So those three tribes had the Kohathites camped out with them. Amen? How many of you like to go camping? Very good. So Dathan and Abiram were the sons of Eliab, which were the Reubenites. And On, the son of Peleth, was a Reubenite chief. So basically, you had three people from the tribe of Reuben join up with Korah, who was a Kohathite, to come against Moses, along with 250 very prominent, reputable leaders, people, princes. Now think about how all this is playing out. Because there's a lot of anger in this presentation, in these scriptures. You can see there's a lot of resentment and anger. Do you know why? Because a whole generation realized they're not going into the promised land. So I'm, I'm praying about this portion, and I'm reading it, and I'm trying to get to, to know you guys better. I'm trying to get better to love you and serve you and understand you so that we can journey together because it's, it's not fun when it's all discord and chaos. Amen? Amen. And, and so I'm really trying to understand you through the scriptures and what's happening and what's going on. And you're going to see how this plays out, and, and it's called empathy. Empathy simply means that you put yourself in the other person's shoes. If you tell me something and it's off the wall or it doesn't make sense or it's really it's not going to work, period, I don't have to have a comment. Empathy is hearing somebody out so you understand their emotions. Now, for the sake of protecting the innocent in this congregation, I'm not going to use anybody's name or examples per se, but... I will say this, though. If somebody is sharing something with you, you need to hear them out. You need to listen for empathy. You want to hear what they're saying. Even if you don't agree or you're thinking they're making a bad decision, this isn't going to work. You chose this over that. How could you do that? You can't do that. You have to hear them. And this is what Moses actually does. They're bringing charges against him. Think about it. Moses... Practice it. He practiced empathy. And, and I'm just saying, in times in which we live, our emotions are on high alert. I'm a drama queen. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because a whole generation was told, you're not going into the promised land, and they got their butts kicked trying to go against God. Have you ever gone against God, and it just didn't work? <laughs> I know, firsthand. And I pick myself up, and I'm like, wow, what a ding-a-ling. What, what was he doing? That wasn't God. I thought it was. It was a good idea. It wasn't a God idea. So in my prayer walks, and everything, I'm trying to understand, because it seems like this world has lost common sense. It seems like there's no moral absolutes anymore. There's no value for life or people or even possessions or things or anything. It's just a free-for-all. It's everyone did what was right in their own eyes kind of thing. There's no king, no monarchy. 
And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because you've got to have empathy to understand the Torah. When you see these stories played, you have to have empathy for the people. So a whole generation that was, what, 20 and older, they're not going into the promised land. So I started chewing on this, and I'm thinking, they're probably bitter. They're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they know it. So there's grumbling. And then some of the leaders, some of the prominent guys are like, oh, yeah, well, this is the verdict through Moses and Aaron. That's what they gave us. That was the best administration we could get. So they challenged Moses and Aaron and says, hey, it didn't work out for us. You guys aren't letting us go into the land. We're going to die in the wilderness. Who are you? And so all this stuff starts coming about. Amen? Amen. But this is, this is just the bonus nugget information right here. Think about this one. And, and I love Moses, and I respect Moses, you know, and he's, you know, and I'm sure he's cheering me on, but, but I love Moses because even at this point, I was thinking Moses is probably one of the best leaders in the Bible. I want you to think about this. He had to tell the people they weren't going into the promise land and everything through the Lord because the glory came down and the, and the verdict was given. So he had to tell them all that. But he's thinking to himself, but I'm going into the promised land. Listen, Moses blew it, everybody. He blew it. I want you to get this picture. This is true leadership. He blew it. Him and Aaron, he was told, you're not going into the land. Guess what? He had to lead that whole bunch for 39 years, knowing he wasn't going in either. Oh, my, I got goosebumps. I got totally goosebumps all over me right now. But he still led, even though he knew the verdict. He could have ran off to, to Midian. He could have ran off to his father-in-law's house. He didn't. He stuck it in there. Because you reap what you sow, he realized it. He's probably contemplating, man, I did kill an Egyptian. I buried him in the sand. I was on the run. I was, a, you know, a fugitive. You know, I've done this. I've done that, you know. And, but yet I'm the most humble man in the Bible. Because he wrote it. <laughs> I mean, there's a speculation there. But I'm just saying to all of you that I fall in love with the Torah all over again. I've studied words and scriptures and all that. But I, I've really fallen in love with it because it's so, it's a soap opera. It's real. Forget about the Kardashians. They are boring. They're boring family. Boring family. What a bore. Read about Moses. Read about Israel. Read about your family, right? So think of how all this is playing out now. Because Korah's rebellion was right after they were told they're not going into the promised land. That was the rebuttal. And this is the thing the Lord was warning me about. And this is incredible. The first part of Numbers, you can see where, and, and I, I, I'm writing this down. I'm going to teach the survey on the book of Numbers later. But I was looking this over, and, and I was quickened and, and inspired to share this with you. The beginning of Numbers is all about internal conflict. So if you listen to my messages, if you listen to the way I'm coming across and sharing this with you, I'm trying to tell you to deal with your eternal issues, internal issues. And those around you, you have internal issues. Bait to Hila. Internally, we got issues. We have things going on. We got to resolve them. We got to take care of them. How many understand what I'm saying? Those are internal. It's internal. But when you get to chapter 22 on, the problems become external. So what the Lord was showing me is that if you don't take care of the internal problems, the external ones will finish you. It's like you can't fight a two-front war. I can't be fighting with my wife and kids, fighting with you, and then I got somebody on the outside fighting me. 
That's how Germany fell. It's happened in the past. Study, study war. You can't fight a two-front war. You can't supply it. You can't maintain it. And this is what will happen. So as, as I'm sharing these messages, as I'm giving this word to you, it's for you to take because he's given me the answers to the test. But he didn't say it was going to be easy. I mean, he's shown me what to do and how to do it. It's great. I love it. But man, is it hard. Yeah. Whoa, that's hard. It's hard. So you've got to see how this is happening now. Unwise associations. Birds of a feather flock together. So these Reubenites were unhappy. And, and think about the tribe of Reuben, Amen. They lost the birthright. They got a history of this. They're probably like, hey, we should be the ones leading this thing. We were the firstborn, Reuben, amen, right? So all this is being, being played out. And the funny thing about God is he has a sense of humor. Everyone's jockeying in this movement. And you're going to see how this is all playing out because this is probably one of the best messages you're going to hear to understand this movement and where we're at and what's happening and how do we adapt? What's our response to what's going on around us? How do we respond? How do we act? Amen? It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's what you're doing. You have to respond to your environment. You have to respond to your circumstances. You have to have a plan of action. Every day that you wake up, you need to know how to live. Because there's a wrong way to live and there's a right way to live, and I want to show you the right way. So we're looking at this, and this is just being played out. So I'm just thinking, okay, this is being played out right now. This is being played out. And that's just the biography of Korah. It's that simple. And how many of you know that we live in a culture of accusations? Time doesn't permit me to make a PowerPoint slide for all of these accusations. I'm simply going to read them to you. So they come to the leadership with accusations against Moses and Aaron. These are simply accusations, eight of them. And I, and I, and I got this from the Dates Annotated Bible. Here we go. Eight accusations against Moses and Aaron. You can find this in Numbers chapter 16, verses 3 through 14. Now, how many of you know that God doesn't decide anything on accusations, but on two or more witnesses? And... On top of that, with the right intent. What's our intent? Our intent should always be to resolve a matter or to help in a matter, not to hurt anybody in a matter. Number one, they said to Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon you, exercising more authority than you have the right. That's an accusation. Number two, you think you are the only holy ones, but all in the congregation are holy. That's an accusation. Moses and Aaron never said that the people aren't holy like we are. That's an accusation. You're, you're saying you're holier than them. They never, they never said that. They never did that. Number three, you lift yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord. Number four, you have brought us out of Egypt, the real land of milk and honey, to kill us in the wilderness. So think about this concept of the world and, and just walk with me on this. As far as the world goes and what you came out of as far as the world goes, do you think that the place that God brought you out of is better than where he has you now? Come on. Do you like where you're at today? Let's just, let's just go back in your life. Let's just go back 30 years. 
30 years ago, where were you? Maybe that's too many years. Uh, I'm having a hard time thinking about that. How old was I? Hmm. I was 19 years old. I wasn't doing good at 19, folks. I shouldn't have said that. Number five, you make yourself a prince over us. Now, here's the accusation. You make yourself a prince over us. Moses didn't make himself a prince over the people. God did. God called him to be the deliverer. But see, this is where the confidence in you has to rise up, even in my own position here at Beit Tehillah. Oh, really? You never went to seminary. How could you lead a Messianic congregation? You're not even Jewish. I deal with the same thing, too. I'm up here because God wants me up here. That's all I can say. He hired me, he'll fire me. I mean, that's all I can say. I know that without any shame. Because I'd rather be doing something else, folks, really. I'd rather be a stand-up comic, good, clean humor, go run the nation, get everybody laughing, everybody have a good time, you know. But no, that's not what I get to do. So i got to throw in a little monologue every now and then for you. Look at this. You have not brought us into the promised land of milk and honey. Now, the verdict was already rendered by Yahweh to the people. You're not going into the land. And now he's going to blame Moses and Aaron for their error. You have not brought us into the promised land of milk and honey because that was the original journey, right? Come out of Egypt and go into the promised land. But there was time in between. Number seven, you have not given us inheritance of fields and vineyards as you have promised. That was all contained within the promised land. I don't remember Moses or Aaron ever promising them that. I think it's through the blessings, but that doesn't come until later with Deuteronomy. How many of you understand what I'm saying? The book of Deuteronomy wasn't even written yet. Number eight, you blind the eyes of the people to the fact that you keep none of your promises. What promises didn't they keep? Do you see those accusations? So let's, let's, look, let's break this down. Let's, let's just look at this in a, in, a, in a whole new light here. Let's really understand this. Because this is going to help some of you in your jobs. Are you a core in your job? How come I'm not getting raises? How come I'm not getting promoted? How come i got to go from job to job to job? How come it's just not working out for me? Are you a core? Are you undermining leadership? I'll give you stories about the workplace in a minute here. Let's look at this. Self-appointed leadership. Moses diffuses Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 33. This is taken from the Maxwell Leadership Bible by John C. Maxwell. I do believe that this particular uh, Bible is New King James Version, but I have a, I actually have this Maxwell Leadership Bible. I highly recommend that you get it because the bonus package, as you read uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, he lays out leadership principles for you that are really, really good. Amen? I mean, he's been teaching leadership for over 30 years. Some of you know uh, John C. Maxwell. Amen? Very reputable person. And from him, he has many disciples. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking this from his knowledge. Korah blatantly and arrogantly rebelled against Moses. In self-will and presumption, Korah followed a process of self-appointment common to many who illegitimately pursue power. Now, I'll say this with all honesty. I really believe, and I'm not being negative, 
We're raising up a generation of little gods. We're raising up a culture, a generation of what? Entitlement. So let's look at this self-appointed leadership. Continuing on. Number one, this is what he was guilty of. He caused others to rise up against existing leadership. It was a real coup. It was a real conspiracy. A conspiracy takes two or more people. I don't understand what I'm saying. This was a real coup here. He caused others to rise up against existing leadership. So here's Korah. Here's the three Reubenites. Amen. And the tribe of Reuben, it really isn't that bad. They have one of the best sandwiches you could ever eat. So, you know, you've got to look at the good in all the tribes. I love the Reuben. Amen. I used to work with the Reuben. So anyway, number two, he publicly criticized and questioned existing leadership. Now, how many of you know that when you have a matter, you go privately? If you're offended or you have a problem with your brother or your sister, it's real simple. You go to them and you get it resolved. You don't go tell everyone else. Yeshua teaches that, doesn't he? In the Gospels? That's probably the hardest thing for us to even do. You just go to your brother and your sister. You say, hey, you know, you said this, you offended me. You did this, you offended me. And I love you, but you, you offended me. And what, what has to happen? <gasps> Empathy. Well, why does that bother you? It doesn't bother me. Empathy. Oh, come on. This is worth $19.95 right now. Write your checks out. $19.95. This message is worth at least $19.95 because I'm telling you, it's changing my life. Why? Because I haven't really changed, but it's the way I look at things I'm changing. Put yourself in other people's shoes. That's where compassion comes and everything. Number three, he accused leadership of what he himself was guilty of. Some Jewish sages or rabbis would even say that at one point he was trying to promote communism. Think about the concept of communism. Hey, we're all equal. We're all holy. Where's Lenin? <laughs> God's not a communist. Did you know that he's not a communist? Because the tabernacle was three compartments. Noah's Ark was three floors. If, if God was, was a socialist or whatever, he, he would just have one, one floor, one room. If you actually go back and study the sacrificial system, there were three types of giving for the, the rich, the middle class, and the poor. That if you could not even give like a, an animal, you could, you could do like a dove. So there's three classes of people. People, you know, well, we should all be equal. No. It doesn't work that way, not from the scriptures, because he's going to give to everyone according to your works. We're justified by the finished work of the cross. But I'm jockeying for my position in his administration forever. Pastor Henry Wright sat me down and went over all this with me and made it very clear to me that what you do today will dictate tomorrow. And it really spoke, it went right to my spirit, like, that's right. Because if we're sitting there right now and you're thinking, well, when Jesus comes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, you're too late. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now, everybody. Number four. He despised as too little the position he had been given. He wanted more. He despised as too little the position he had been given. He wanted more. 
Always flow in the gift that God has given you. Amen? He's given you gifts. Develop them, grow them, enjoy them, have them. Amen? You could be a great author. You could write great books, but a horrible public speaker. You shouldn't be publicly speaking. Keep writing books. Right? I was kidding the worship team. I always kid them, you know. I said, I used to be up here with you guys. And then I got demoted. God made me a pastor. You guys enjoy the worship. You guys are promoted. You guys are doing better than I am. Because people would think, oh, the pastor, it's an elevated position. Oh, look at you. You got promoted. I don't know what you call promotion. But we all have different positions. It's the body of Christ. We're all important. The nursery worker, I'm sorry, is more important than me. (laughs) Think about it. Everybody's important. The greeters, the worship team, whoever does media, whoever's doing live streaming right now. Hello, live streaming. Wherever you are out there in the diaspora, we'll be together one day. There'll be no live streaming in heaven. We'll all be together. Praise the Lord. So remember that. God has given us all gifts. Like Tom, he's like my handyman. He can fix anything, amen? He can't. He, fix, he, can just, it does, he amazes me. I don't think he's ever even not taken the mission. Are you prepared to take the mission? Give it to me. I mean, he just does it. And I could go on and on and on. He can fix things that I just look at and think, and I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And then he started teaching me about YouTube. You can go on YouTube and learn how to fix things. I said, I'm not that good either. (laughs) Have you ever done that? It's like my brother. He's very good with his hands. He can lay tile. He can fix a car. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not my gift, right? You don't put something together, have parts left over, and say, hey, look how good I am. I got parts left over. I'm telling you, I got horror stories. That's why I cannot go to Ikea. Right? Norwegian instructions? I don't know, man. I made a mistake. I got this big white dresser. I started putting it together. I messed up. I had to take it back apart and everything. Then I realized I had to go to the store. And I said, this is not manufactured properly. He said, no, sir, you didn't put it together properly. I said, no, this is wrong. He says, let me show you. So he showed me the instructions, and a light bulb went on. I said, I ask for your forgiveness. I apologize. You are absolutely right. It's operator error. I messed up. I thought this goes this way. That way. And here's the, the drawing says it right here. I had to admit that I messed up. Number five, he continued to murmur, complain, and create a negative atmosphere. And I want to share this with you. Just, just so you understand the concept of church. Church is a place really and truly where you give, you never get. Think about that concept. Because if I come in here thinking, well, I'm going to get this. and I'm No, I'm here to give. I'm here to give my praises to the Lord. I'm here to give you encouragement. I'm here to give you a word. I'm not here to get. And if something doesn't quite work out or this or that, it, it really doesn't bother me. I keep moving on. It, well, this happened in the service. That happened in the service. To me, it's not a big deal. I don't even remember it. So we've got to change this concept of church and come in here with a good attitude and praises because you get to express your faith in here. You get to say Shabbat Shalom, amen? can't say that everywhere. That you, could, you could get arrested. 
You don't go in the food court. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Is that bourbon chicken? Hey, there's Chick-fil-A. Shabbat shalom, everyone. All of a sudden, here comes, you know, mall security. The mall cop. So don't take it for granted. Now, if we want to go back to the original model of the church, you wouldn't have seats. Now, you're going to be like, Pastor Nick, you've taken it way too far now. The tabernacle had no benches or seats, folks. It was standing room only. I could just see you fighting over the standing place in here. That would happen. You're standing in my standing place. I was standing there for 20 years. This is where I stand. I even marked it with some blue tape. Look, see that? People moving tape and marks. You laugh, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So here's a quote by author Frank Damasio. Here's a quote. A self-appointed leader takes upon himself the authority and responsibility of a spiritual office to which he has not been divinely called. Think about it, everybody. Think about this movement. There is a vacuum for true leadership. Let me submit something to you. Seriously, I confess with my mouth, I believe with all my heart, in 20 years of all this and and experiencing everything and what we're doing, and I believe it strongly, I believe in the restoration and the regathering of the whole house of Israel. I believe it with all my heart, even when I'm with my family or I was at work. I didn't care. I said, I know this is true, Lord. Your word says you would do this. You would restore and you would regather the whole house of Israel. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't have the blueprints. Neither did Moses when they were traveling. Amen. He didn't whip out the itinerary. Children of Israel, gather around. We're going to deep sea fish in the Red Sea. No. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the pillar of fire moved, they moved. That's when you move. So there's a move in the earth of the Torah being written on minds and hearts. Now we have to properly interpret it with the spirit and with love. you got to fall in love with the church again. The biggest rehab we need is probably in here. You came out of the church because you didn't like what they were doing. You didn't believe what they were doing anymore. And you bring that spirit in here and you do the same thing. The same criticism, the same negativity. You're just in a different place. Oh, come on now. I'm preaching to the choir because I think there's some leaders in this house. This is the complex. We have to be further along. This is good stuff. I'm sorry. Discord. Discord. We could go on and on about core and all that, but we don't really need to. We need to just tie this all in so we can fix ourselves. Discord. Seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Think about this. you got to chew on this and meditate on this because this is serious. This is an abomination to the Lord. Number one, a proud look. Do we have that in our culture? Do we have that in sports, politics, the church? You know. Don't name any names in here, folks. No. Who am I? A lying tongue, number two. It's an abomination to God, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Is that happening in our culture? Hands that shed innocent blood. What about abortion? Take somebody to do the abortion, right? Is that innocent blood? Absolutely. 
Where's their rights? This is how messed up it is. You know, we, we worship, you know, the creation more than the creator. Save animals, kill homo sapiens. Number four, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Amen? A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. What about the gas chambers? Who created that? That was a wicked imagination, wasn't it? Can wicked imaginations become a reality? You know, if you say anything, you'll do it. Did you know that? If you say something, you will do it. If you say, I'll kill you, and you're just playing around, you'll do it. Did you know that? That if you speak things, that means that you will do it because it's coming out of your heart. Oh, I didn't mean that. No, if, if someone threatens you and they say something, take the threat seriously. That's what Israel has been trying to tell the other nations. They've been threatened for years, the nation of Israel. They th- they're threatened all the time. We're going to drown you all in the sea. <laughs> they know they want to do it. Number five, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. What's an abomination? How about a riot when there's looting, burning down businesses, flipping over cars? How many that's running to mischief? Hey, there's a riot going on, and you partake of it. It's an abomination. It's anarchy. How many of you know what I'm saying? You kill black people, we're going to kill white people. You ran to mischief. You ran to an abomination. Why? Because Satan's a murderer. He's a murderer. Look at Islam. They fight each other. They kill each other. And he loves it. He loves that, and he loves when people don't even believe in him. He loves that. Number six, a false witness. That is an abomination. How many people are put in jail over false testimonies? And then they get released through DNA evidence or something because they didn't have it back then. How many understand what I'm saying? Amnesty. How many understand what I'm saying? A false witness. They couldn't even get false witnesses against Jesus. Number seven. Here we go. He that soweth discord or strife among brethren. And that's what that word entails. That's what it means. That word discord means strife among brethren. How many of you are supposed to work things out? How many of you know that all of us don't agree on everything? So when I present to you the community rules and what we're doing and what it's all about, what you do in your home is, is, is your responsibility. It's your personal life. Let me say what I'm saying. If you say to me, well, I want to do this here, but you won't do this here, but I do this in my home, I say, I, I respect that. But remember this. You need to remember this as a leader. Whatever I put on you, I have to do. So do I really want to make it hard on you and end up being a hypocrite? Because that's what was happening with Jesus and the Jewish leadership. They were hypocrites. So he that soweth discord or strife among the brethren. Let's look at it. Proverbs 6.19. Let's read that. It is an abomination to the Lord to sow discord or strife among the brethren. Proverbs 6.19. Would you agree that you should not... So discord among the other Messianic congregations. What about the other Messianic leaders? Should I, should I sow discord in them? No, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to you right now. I'm giving you some good advice. 
Because we don't do that here. We don't practice it. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do it. Because we're all called. And you're going to see where Paul brings this out because he was having this problem. Let's look at, that's discord. Let's look at divisions. Divisions, right? Who likes to divide? Satan. God wants to add and multiply. Amen? Satan wants to divide. Division. You can't have more than one vision in the house. That's division. One vision. Here we go. The Apostle Paul gives a reproof to the church at Corinth for divisions over ministers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Is this happening today? So I'm going to give you some, some advice. I'm going to help you along the journey so the earth doesn't swallow you up or fire doesn't consume you, either one. I'm going to try to help you along the way here because I do believe I have some of the answers. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Let's follow along in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect." Amen? Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Paul was a Benjamite. He was going to pull out a people for his namesake. Amen? That's what he was doing. So verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1.10, once again, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. So the Greek word for divisions is schisma. Number 4978, the Strong's Concordance, 4978, and it means a split or gap, a schism. There's a schism, schisma. How many of you know that doesn't work in ministry? You can't have a split or a gap. I mean, think about it. That's like coming in here and finding body parts. Welcome to our church. There's an arm over here. There's a leg over here. I'd like to see a complete body myself. So think of it like that. Many members, one body. This all ties in together. Because there's nothing new under the sun, everybody. We're still battling the same thing. 
He's just now starting out the church, the called out ones. He's preaching the gospel, and he's, he's sharing this message, and the same thing is happening in the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. So at the end of the day, what do you want to achieve? What do you want to prove? That's the question. I want to prove that we can make lives better. I want to prove that we can be obedient and happy in the Lord. I don't have to live in confusion and strife as a pastor. I don't have to fight the sheep all the time. I can love the sheep and get along with the sheep and live happily ever after. I believe that because that's what the word says. Many members, one body. Everybody's important. Everybody. Think about this. This same word schisma in the Greek can also be found in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. Schisma. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. let's read it. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions, schisma among you, and I partly believe it. Now, the interesting thing about Paul's letters is that we don't have the original questions. We don't have the original intent of sending this letter. We just have the letters. But we can look and use it as an example. Let me understand what I'm saying. There be divisions or schisma among you. And I partly believe it. Now, the only other word for divisions found in the New Testament is the Greek word dikostasia. Dikostasia in 1 Corinthians 3.3 and in Romans 16.17. It means disunity, disunity, figuratively dissension and sedition. Dissension and sedition. It means disunity. It's dikostasia. Dikostasia. Doesn't that sound so cool? I love Greek. I love that word, those words. It's dikostasia. It's not good. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Now, once again, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. Now we're in chapter 3. Let's read it together. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Dicostasia, there it is. Disunity, dissension, sedition. So you've got to ask yourself, why is there division? Because there's envying and there's strife. And what happens when you have that? You're carnal. You're letting the flesh take over. That's 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Let's look at Romans 16.17. Let's read it. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Listen to me closely, everybody. I'm not perfect. But one of the things I want you to understand is this is our concept. This is our mode of operation. I don't want to call out ministers and ministries at Beit Tehillah. I do not want to go after ministers and ministries, no matter if they're evangelicals or they're messianic. I don't feel like we should do that. That's not what God has called me to do. They could be in the wrong, but I don't want to do that. People like to rant and rave on social media. I'm warning you, if you don't use social media properly, 
you will lose your soul. We use social media to inspire and encourage and to inform the audience, the people participating in social media for Beit Tehillah, of good things and good things to come. We do not use it for negativity. It's not a platform to cast judgment. Because we, we think it's a good thing. It's not, everybody. It's not a good thing. You reap what you sow. Remember this. You reap what you sow. If you go after somebody, somebody's coming after you. And I don't want a trail of people following me. Because you reap what you sow. If you constantly want to go after people that are wrong and you want to just point them out, all your wrongs will be brought to light. You better be squeaky clean like Jesus. Oh, Satan's coming, but he has nothing in me. I don't think you qualify for that. I don't qualify for that. This is good stuff, isn't it? Oh, our Father in heaven, he loves me. He, he wooed me like a, like, a, like a good father to a son in my prayer walks. He's showing me what's happening around me and how to avoid it and how to win. Because I'm a winner. You're a winner. We're winners. We're not losers. We're winners. We know how to be obedient. We know how to adapt to the culture in which we live. And just because the culture is offering us all this stuff doesn't mean we need to eat it or take it into our families. We protect ourselves. So here's the context of this so you understand, because this is something for all of you to consider. Rewards according to your labor. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. You could go on and on and develop this case, but I'm just going to present it to you in this particular fashion, in this manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Here's Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 3. Here we go. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as to unto babes in Christ. Babes in Christ, carnal. So when, 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 you, when you're in the flesh and you're just nipping at everybody and saying things, you're immature. You, haven't, you don't even have the knowledge that you need because you don't even know how to treat people, how to speak to people. You're immature. You're a little babe. You should be having milk. Verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now think about it. Paul came in and taught at a certain level. He didn't even get to the meat. And you're going to see how this develops in his case here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So with just the basic teaching that he was given the Corinthian church, because how many of you know that they didn't have a New Testament, an Old Testament? How many of you know they were under the Greek mythology? They were pagans. They had multiple gods. They had temple prostitutes. How many of you understand what I'm saying? They had crazy stuff going on. They didn't have anything. They were at ground zero. So envying, strife, and divisions is a sign of immaturity. We need to grow up. If you go back and even look at, at, at this particular letter... Time doesn't permit me to go there, but when it deals with the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one body, many members, then what happens after that? It goes into the love chapter. Brothers and sisters, this love chapter is not for a marriage. It's for leadership. Because then he goes into concerning speaking in tongues and those gifts in chapter 14. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet 
show I unto you a more excellent way. He goes into the love chapter. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. As a leader, you have to be a lover. We don't have lovers in this movement. We don't. They ain't lovers. There's changes happening. 1 Corinthians 3, 4. You're, you're witnessing it right now. 3, 4. Let's read it. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now, they didn't even get the meat yet. So I want you to think about this. And I'm not going to mention names. I don't need to. Oh, I like this minister. I don't like that minister. I like this minister. I don't like that minister. In this movement, there's a lot of teachers. How many of you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of ministries, right? Oh, I like him, but oh, I don't like him. This is what we do. I could go on social media right now and just call it out. We're not supposed to do that. Oh, I'm not under him. I'm under him. Really? Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Verse 6. Look what he says here. Look what Paul says. Let's read it. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. There should always be an increase in the ministry and in the church. There should always be an increase. Amen? We got a bait to heal Iowa, right? That's increase. We could have a bait to heal in Orlando, a bait to heal in Bradenton. I mean, who knows what God wants, right? I want a bait to heal in Jerusalem. Come on now. Oh, yeah. Woo, pick me, pick me, pick me. Everybody would be jockeying, right? It'd be like Talits and Kippas and, oh, oh, you know. Come on, you ain't fooling me. So God gave the increase. So God should give the increase in this movement. If I do what I'm supposed to be doing, God's going to give the increase. Let's keep reading 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. See, the increase in here is not me, it's God. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter my testimony and how many hours I put in. God gave the increase to bait Tehila. God has given it to us. It's not me. It's him. 1 Corinthians 3.8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Oh, you got to get this. Listen, every one of you are ministers. I believe every one of you actually have a ministry within you. I'm telling you this, Okay. I know God's going to do great things with you. It's great that you're here and everything, but he, he's going to maybe want to take you out because you're going to need a good message to go out to do what he wants you to do to be successful. In order to get the increase, you have to be obedient to what he wants, not what you want. Unmet expectations. I've already been down that road. Think about this. This is very important that you understand this, what Paul is saying. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Okay, so we're going to tie this into the end as well. So when I say to you, what's my labor to build a strong community, raise up the next generation? Where does the part judge others come into that vision? Where does it come in that I should go after other ministries that you share with me, that they're false teachers and they're teaching this and they're teaching that? I saw it on the internet. I'm like, I don't care. 
I'm building a strong community and I'm raising the next generation and I got poop going down the side of my little girl's leg right now. I don't really care about the internet right now. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.9. I'm building up to something here. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So as far as planting and watering and God giving the increase, you're a picture of what God's increase is. So when people are, my guests are here, and they see 50 youth and kids up here, they're just blowing, that's more than my church. I just say, it's God's increase. It's God's increase. It's God's increase. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. There were people in my life, as I got saved and born again, from, from the Baptist church to the Pentecostal, they laid a foundation for me. It was Christ. Did they have all the answers? No. Did they have all the truth? No. But they built a foundation for me to know enough that I needed to be born again, saved, and, and do the baptism of water and, and to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. They laid the foundation for me. And then, Pastor Tifa, Pastor Randy, they started to throw water on me. Okay? But I can't disregard the ones who built the foundation. The ones who brought me along. This is good stuff. Write your checks out right now, 1995. I pay 1995 for my own message. I'm just telling you, in all you're getting, get understanding, everybody. I refuse just to wake up and go, duh. I got too many responsibilities, too many people counting on me. Don't you count on me? Don't you want me to hear from God? Don't you want me to help you? Well, help me to help you. I told Tom I would desire a cup holder. And look at that. It is beautiful. Not like David, though. You know, I didn't say, hey, Tom, I'd love to have some water from Bethlehem. <laughs> okay, some of you didn't get that. But I'm moving on now. Let's look at the next verse. Wow, look at that. First, is that 1 Corinthians 3.11? For other foundation could no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the root of the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. He's the root. 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Think about this. You have your foundation, and now you're starting to do your works. You're starting to say things and do things and build something and, and, and do something, right? But look what happens in 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Oh, man, this will preach. So I want to be guilty of building a strong community, and raising up the next generation. That's what I want to be guilty of. That's my, that's my, that's my mojo. That's my, that's my method of operation. Amen? That's, that's what it is. It's no more. It's no less. Strong community. Raise up the next generation. That's when the fire will come. Right? 
Because look what's going to happen. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. I'm going to get a reward. You're going to get a reward. Because look at what it says there. 1 Corinthians 3.15. This is the last verse. Look at this. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Meaning, your position in his administration isn't going to be as great because the fire devoured your wood, hay, and stubble because you had the wrong motives. You were doing the wrong things. But he says, but you'll still be saved. Come on, I know I make light of this, because if you laugh, you can cry later. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, Yeshua, I pointed out everything that was wrong all around me. I did a good job. I started with my wife and my kids, and I went on the Internet, and I, and I really, I called out everybody. I just, I put them in their place. I proved them wrong. <laughs> You're toast, baby. You're done. This is what the Lord was showing me. If I put a chair up here, and I have you sit in this chair, and I say, before God and everyone in this church, prove to me that you're building a strong community and raising the next generation. What have you contributed? I want to put every one of you on the stand, because that is the vision of this house. What have you done to build a strong community and to raise the next generation? I don't care how little it is. What could you confess? Is there enough evidence to convict you? So when there's all these traps and all these things going on around me, I realize it's not what I'm called to. I'm not called to the trap. I'm not called to call out other ministers and, and, and ministries and people because I got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. And when you keep this in context, you'll see. I'm 49 years old, and I'm going to turn 50 next year. And I want to be like wine and get better with age. I want to get smarter. I want to have more wisdom. I want to see more victories. I want to see you have a victory. I want to see you healthy, debt-free. The total package. Total package. The total package here. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's the quote. Last slide. Let's read it together. The labor at Beit Tehila consists of the vision of building a strong community and raising up the next generation. This goes back to when I say to you, we're going to see the restoration and the regathering of the whole house of Israel. It sounds great. That's awesome. Woohoo! The big old, you know, pep rally and everything. But then we're like, well, how are you going to do it? Here at Beit Tehillah, we are developing it. We're going to grow into it. It's in the larva stage. Amen? We are going to develop this concept of a strong community, raising up the next generation with the church government, with protocol and everything needed to fulfill it in order to bring it to fruition, because talk is cheap, everybody. We're going to do a spiritual inventory of every child. There's going to be a folder. Every child is going to give the opportunity to, to, to be born again, to be baptized in water, filled with the Spirit, and have the Torah. Every child will have a spiritual inventory. We will personally take it upon ourselves. My wife and I and all the, the children workers and everything, we're going to make it a point to get the parents involved and say, we are going to teach your children about salvation. We're going to teach your children about the water baptism. And we want to come alongside the parents because they're the parents, and we're going to say, we need you to join us in this endeavor. So just like, you know, 
we can say whatever, what age did they become born again? That's not the point. Right now, Linda's doing four to six, but like my wife's age group, seven to ten, we can go after seven and up and start training them and get them ready for that confession. And we'll have a file on every child, every family member, and we'll say, this child was born again. This child was baptized. Because what's going to happen is it's going to propel them into the church and into ministry. It's also going to help them to find a mate. Amen? you got a better chance of finding your mate here than Walmart, I'm telling you. Not that God can't use Walmart. Sometimes I wonder, go to Walmart on Sunday at night. Just look around. That's a frying. Don't laugh. It's like Star Wars barroom scene. But that's who God wants. That's who he's going after. So we're going to close it out with, I'm hoping it's going to work. I'm a man of great faith. Ryan said I could play his guitar. And Tom's going to move this. I'm going to take my jacket off. We're going to close this out with Hinematov. Amen? So pray for me that I can pull this off. <laughs> and I do believe I have some dancers in the house. I believe I do. So, thank you so much. So here we go. He named my tov in closing. Wow, this is professional. I got like six picks on this thing. This is really advanced. Now, I'm going to read the Hebrew, then I'm going to read the English. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Oh man, this is bringing back memories. Oh, I get to live the dream all over again. He named my Kim Gum Yaha, he named a toe, he named a toe. La 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 For brothers to dwell together in unity, in unity. La 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 la. In unity, in unity. La 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 la. He named, he named my tov, my nahim, shevet 
Father, I think that there's no shame in this house. There's no regrets, Father, for we are going to boldly go where no messianic has ever gone before. And we give all praise, honor, and glory to Yeshua of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. 